I am fucking exhausted. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. People brag about it. It's the Wild West. Basically, the American people are saying it's good people. They, are, they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. got this. It's not the link, it's what you do with it while you have it. That's true. <laughs> okay, people, it's hour three. You know the rules. Lower your expectations and hang on tight. Hour three, there are no rules. <laughs> Where we're going. Stinking rules. We won't need roads. <laughs> You're sweating and I'm freezing, so everybody pick a side. <laughs> Episode 145 of the Cold War show in Israel. We um yes. we mentioned at the end of the last episode that in the early 30s uh the Jews the Zionists mm-hmm. had a breakaway Haganah their militia which had a defensive policy split into two groups. Right. One of them veered rightward, was known eventually as Ergun, the uh, sort of uh, aggressive, I call them the SS. They were the SS of the, of right. the Zionists. Um, aggressive military. Going on the offensive. Wing. Yeah. Right. Now, Ergun would eventually be described as a terrorist organisation by the United Nations, Ooh. the British and the United States governments. It was the oh, political predecessor to Israel's Herut, or Freedom Party, right-wing party, which turned into today's Likud Party, which has been, or has led, or been part of most Israeli governments since 1977. And the chairperson of Likud today is Benjamin Netanyahu. He's still around. So the, the Jewish SS... When it was when it was declared a terrorist organization and basically <laughs> shut down, it turned into a political party, a right wing political party, uh, which is today the government of Israel. They morphed and they survived. After the 1929 riots, there was a handful of years of peace, like it, there had been in the 20s, until 1936, when the Arabs try to get rid of the British, the great Arab revolt of 1936. And that's what we're going to try and get up to in this episode. But before we get into that, I want to talk about uh, Jewish immigration in the late 20s, early 30s. Ray, do you want to, you got any numbers there? Uh, I do. But again, so since violence goes down, that doesn't mean that there's not tension, that there's still not distrust on um, both sides. And with Husseini, who's dominating the political sector now because of the, uh, the, the revolt that drove a lot of people to his more radical blend, if you will. He's ready to, to try to keep going. Again, he's still biding his time for that, for that big moment. Um, and like you said, the Yeshuvah and the Arabs know that they can't count on the British. It's just not going to happen if they're going to be able to 
survive or when it's going to have to be left up to them. Um, so the Jew, the, um, so the Zionists are still going on with their with their immigration because that's the key. They need as many Jews in the area as possible to then one day turn to the British and go, we want to set up a representative government, obviously um, for the Jews and, and not for this uh, this whole two-state thing. It's just not going to work. So in 1932, about 9,500 Jews immigrated into Palestine. In 1933, the year Hitler comes to power, it's 30,000 that come to Palestine. Obviously, as the as uh, the Nazi party ramps up and they declare martial law and they take rights away from their own their own people and they start harassing the Jews, those numbers are going to go up. In 1934, there's 42,000 Jewish immigrants. Not that they all came from Germany, but, but you see where this is going, uh, that come to Palestine. In 1935, it's 62,000 thousand immigrants. So the Zionists are finally getting what they need. They're getting these massive influx of numbers, but at the same time, the Jews throughout Europe are being harassed um, on a level that they haven't seen in quite some time. But after that, the numbers start to decline. But still, the what's what's freaking the Arabs out is as big as these numbers are, the Arabs are absolutely convinced. They have convinced themselves that that illegal immigration of Jews is even represent numbers that are even bigger than these. So the Arabs are still freaking out. They're still angry, distrustful, and they think that their crisis moment is truly coming because so many Jews are coming to Palestine. Yeah, remember in the last episode, I think we were saying, or an earlier episode, we were saying that between sort of the British mandate and 1931, the mm-hmm. population uh, of Jews in Palestine had increased something, I think we said, 300% right. in that period. Yeah. Uh, between 1931 and 1936, it more than doubled just in those five years, from 175,000 to 370,000 people. So you go back to 1918, there were 60,000 Jews and 700,000 Arabs. Within less than 20 years, the number of Jews had gone to 370,000. Massive population in in the space of one generation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, again, there's a depression going on as well, so everyone's doing it tough economically, plus you've got this massive influx of immigrants coming into Palestine, and, of course, they all needed work. And the Arabs, of course, believed the Jews were taking all of their jobs. By 1939, there were a million and 70,000 Arabs in Palestine, 950,000 of them Muslims, and 460,000 Jews in Palestine. Oh, my God. So in that 20-year period of the British mandate, the Jews had gone from being less than a tenth of the population to roughly half of the population. The Arabs' worst nightmare is coming true. What they'd been predicting and fearing for 50 years has actually begun to happen. Now, the uh, even David Ben-Gurion, uh, one of the Zionist leaders, began to state openly at this stage, there is a fundamental conflict. We and they want the same thing. We both want mm. Palestine. Were I an Arab, right. I would rise up against immigration, liable sometime in the future to hand the country over to Jewish rule. What Arab cannot do his math 
and understand that immigration at the rate of 60,000 a year means a Jewish state in all Palestine. Now, it's important to note that up until this juncture, guys like Ben-Gurion and Weizmann were poo-pooing the whole idea that the Jews were going to take over in public. Yes, yes. But by this stage... want to get along. By the late 30s, they were just openly going, yeah... Yeah. We don't have to hide it. Yeah, we? we're, we're yeah. taking over. Yeah. We got the numbers. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. soon we'll have the numbers. I mean, there's, there's right. two Arabs right. for every Jew at this stage, but the Jews probably have got more money and they seem to have yes. more British support. As we said in the last episode, the uh, Passfield yeah. Commission's report, so, you know, was, you know, which re- written by uh, Sir John Hope Simpson, retired colonial Right. British official basically said, "Time, we've got to get rid of the, the Balfour Declaration. It's not going to work. And it got torn up yep. by Ramsay MacDonald. So the Jews got their way. Even when, even when the guys the British sent down to evaluate yeah. and tell them what to do, told them what to do, they didn't do it because yeah. the Jews complained. <laughs> right. And they've got a lot of influence. They've got money. They've got, they, they're able to whisper into a lot of ears. And so... Yeah, they they are able to swing. They, it took them six months, don't get me wrong, but they're able to swing things their way once again. Well, meanwhile, during this whole period, land sales yeah. to Jews kept growing as well, as did land prices. It was a real estate boom. One estimate right. is that land prices were up 50 times from 1910 God. to 1944. Right. Now that's... And this is a... An economic depression. If you're a farmer, you're barely getting by. You don't like what you see in um, in in Palestine or whatever. And you, let's say your land is worth. I'm going to pick a number. I don't know. Your land is worth a hundred thousand dollars. And some Jew comes up to you and goes, "I'll give you four hundred thousand dollars for your land." I mean, nationalism, patriotism, pride. Fuck all that. You're about to make some serious coin, and so you probably more than not say yes. Especially if you're a psychopath. Right, sure. Um, or just greedy. Now, in the 1920s, yeah. the Jews were mostly buying uncultivated land. By the 1930s, uh, they were buying up pretty much everything and evicting yeah. the Arab tenant farmers, as we said. Yes, never forget in that. In the earlier episodes. Yeah, yeah, these people that had worked this land, they may not have owned it, but they'd worked it for probably generations, yeah. uh, were, getting, right. were getting evicted. And they don't have jobs to go to. So it's a big deal for them. The Arabs that were selling the land, basically war profiteers, uh, you know, they they were basically supporting the people that were invading their country. There were war profiteers Mm -hmm. in every war, right? Who who don't really give a shit. These these are collaborationists, essentially. These are like the the French uh, Vichy. They're like, ah, Nazi this, Nazi that. That's all good. Uh, oh, they let me have my uh, my Galois and my uh, my my stinky cheese. Uh, my mistress. Yeah, it's yes. It's, uh, okay, yeah. they took all the yeah. good-looking mistresses. I get the ugly one, but it's okay. But you know, it's all the same in the dark to me, my friend. Than, uh, oh. Yeah, it's better. How do you say uh, it's a masturbation? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the um from the um Renaissance show the Christians who were buying the Turkish alum was it alum and they were supporting the the Turkish war effort 
uh, against Christian Christians. So it's the same thing. Yeah, they're they're making a lot of money and they're using that for the war effort. And so that's what's that's what's going on here. So yeah, these people are just selling their money. They're selling their land and getting the hell out. They're they're selling down their country, but they're they're going to be okay. Well, theoretically. well, a lot of keep in mind. We talked about this early on a few episodes ago. The mm-hmm. Arabs that were selling right. the land didn't necessarily live in Palestine. Oh, that's right. They were in Paris or where the fuck ever. Yeah. They just owning it. Gotcha. Yeah, they gotcha. bought it during the yeah. Ottoman Empire. It was a transaction. Yeah, they had bought this yeah. land. They didn't. Piece of paper. They didn't live there, but they, you know, maybe they had lived right. there once upon a time. They were rich, uh, you know, or they were just yeah. buying up cheap land. They were speculators. Investment. Yeah, right. They had right. bought this che- when it, when when it looked like citrus orchards were going to be a big thing. And they thought, oh, well, the, the, the climate is right in Palestine for citrus orchards. They bought up all of this land, maybe built some orchards, maybe thought they'd speculate on it one day when prices went up. They were basically Donald Trump. They were just buying right. uh, tenement buildings and, and uh, yeah, yeah, waiting for the price to go up. Yeah. So they weren't, it wasn't necessarily yeah, well, Palestinian Arabs that were selling the land to the Jews. It was just Arabs from somewhere. Could have lived anywhere. Right. Now, yeah. here's the thing, though. Historians today believe that the number of Arab tenant farmers that were evicted was only in the thousands. This is out of, a, like I said, huh. a million and 70,000 Arabs before, at least by 1940, uh, 1944, but no, 1939 million Arabs. But it was the psychological. Uh, impact of that on the rest of them that was the issue. They did believe that before long, if this continued, the Jews would end up controlling everything. And, you know, they were right. That was definitely the Jewish, the Zionist plan Plan. was to take control of everything. So they they were right to fear that. Uh, now, the friction gradually took on a religious element as well. Uh, you indicated this. I think you hinted at this in the last episode. But in 1931, there was a World Islamic Conference in Jerusalem. Ooh. This is a bit like the yeah. uh, World Communist Conferences, the, the common turn. This was the right. Islamic turn. And they had delegates from all over the Islamic <laughs> world come together. Yeah, a bit like uh, the 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 Council of Ferrara and Florence that we talked about in a Renaissance show when the Catholics and the Orthodox leaders came together in the mid fourteen hundreds to try and figure out what they were going to do about the great schism of Christianity and to fight the Muslims. Are we going to get together to fight the Muslims? And they because that's what matters. And then the Catholics went, "Eh, "Yeah, fuck you, Greeks." Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We don't need Yeah, to. fuck you. Uh, and the Greeks said, we would rather have our heads chopped off by the Muslims than do a deal with the Catholics. That's how much we hate the Catholics. Oh, my God. Yes. And and some Arab later on is going to say something roughly along those lines. I'd rather see this place stay shit than be developed by Jews. So, so that's, I mean, that's, that's how intense these passions are. And so, yeah, so the, the Arabs realize that they're, in some ways, not as organized politically as the Jews. They're going to try to come together. There's an increase in political awareness because of all the things are not going their way in the 1920s and 19, early 1930s. It's time to get together, try to figure this stuff, stuff out, and present a united common front against their enemy. Let's be honest, there's two enemies, the Jews 
and the British. Phone is ringing. Oh my god. So, get it together. Yeah, so getting back to this World Islamic Conference, they brought together delegates from all over the Islamic world and the the global Islamic leaders reaffirmed mm-hmm. the sanctity to Islam of the Western Wall and the Temple Mount, Ooh, condemned right. Zionism and land sales mm. to Jews. All you Arabs selling land to Jews, cut it the fuck out, <laughs> they said. Stop that fucking shit, yeah. By the way, and, of and course, not, yeah, not all Arabs yeah. are Muslim, of course, we pointed out. There were a lot of Christian right. Arabs. They were a minority. Right. But there was a lot of Christian Arabs, too, that uh, yeah. might have been happy to sell we're their affluent. land to the Jews. Yes, right. they were typically more affluent yeah, the than the Muslims right. were, particularly you know, towards the end of the Ottoman Empire. And you have to imagine that during the British Mandate, Christians in Palestine probably did well. Uh, yes. Christian's like, oh, you like Jesus? Fuck yeah, I like Jesus. Look, I got it on my shirt here. <laughs> Fox said to me the other day, why do you love Jesus so much? I said, uh, what? I don't, what? I don't what? love Jesus. He goes, you got a big poster of him on your wall. I go, well, that's that's, that's different. different. That's my movie, so, Jesus. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they, uh, the, this is where we have the global. Muslim community start to rise up against right. Zionism. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 because after decades and decades of the Palestinian Arabs trying to get the Ottomans at first and the British second to put a stop to this, no one's put a stop to it. So now they're calling on support of the global Muslim community. People like the Secretary of State for India that had its own large Muslim uh, community uh, from this point on mm. adopted an almost automatic anti-Zionist posture. They had to, yeah. They see which way the wind's blowing. But see, e- even here in the, during this conference, Husseini is able to grab more power for himself. So you're right, the Zionists and the British have been put on notice. Not that the infighting between the Husseini's party and the opposition is going to stop. Um, they're still going at each other, but Husseini is not only, he's trying to organize more Arabs, the global Arabs, to not only strengthen his own hand, but to also get him and his party ready for the moment when it is when he deems it best to take to openly, directly take on the Jews and the British, his time is coming. He's just got to he's got to lay the groundwork first. Yeah, well, there's a split in the Palestinian Arab movements that you've you've briefly touched on, I think, in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you've got one group that wants to take up arm against the Zionists, another group that wants to find some common ground, and they are. As I think yeah, you said before, they're kind of funded by the Jews, which is a classic old yes. tactic. Uh, yes. You know, you go, okay, well, we'll Brilliant. create a new party that we will fund that will say, oh, we don't like them either, but let's get along together. You know, that's, <laughs> it's a classic, classic yeah. tactic. Hats off. Reality. Hats off to the Zionists who came up with that. But so you've got the Husseinis led by Armin mm-hmm. al-Husseini, a.k.a. the Hajj Amin, a.k.a. the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Uh, 
1935, he set up the Palestinian Arab Party and it called for all-out resistance against Zionism. And this is where they, they find some common ground, the Jews and yes. the Arabs, because it turns out they all like the fascists at this juncture. <laughs> Got to understand that in the early to mid-1930s, it was the rage, baby. Yeah, everyone's looking at Mussolini and Hitler and going, well, these guys know how to get Fancy shit suits. done. Yeah, yeah, they look fantastic. Yeah. They're, they're checking off boxes like nobody's bidding it. Come on. Yeah. They're doing it better than the British. They, they, they got it going on. Hugo Boss is making their, their, their costumes. Styling. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and if people think I'm joking, I'm not joking. No, no, Hugo Boss designed. Hugo Boss for the SS at first. Was a member yes. of the Nazi party. Yeah. Uh, designed costumes for Yeah, Himmler said, "Hey, I need something snazzy for my SS officers because the regular German army don't think that we're that we're worth anything. I need something that's going to stand out." So Hugo Boss actually took a little bit from the from the um, Wehrmacht officer corps and took it and just made it all black and made it styling. He knew exactly what he was doing. And Himmler was like, love it, love it. Not just Himmler, Hitler too. Uh, yeah. Hugo yeah. Boss had Riding a, boots. Had a photograph in his apartment of him and Hitler just giving each other a little bit of the old reach around. Uh, <laughs> you did wonderful. Yeah. I look good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sexy, yeah. Nazi sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's hour three. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, yes. Anyway, uh, so yes, uh, the Hussainis <laughs> set up its own Hitler Youth. They called it the Al Futuwa. Right. Uh, right. uh, basically, the Hitler Youth. They even referred to them officially as the Nazi <laughs> Scouts. Oh, instead of the Boy Scouts, it's the Nazi Scouts. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing, except yeah. they learn how to they learn how to build a fire, right inside a gas inside a gas chamber. Oh, it's the only gotcha. it's the only major difference yeah. between the Boy Scouts and the Nazi Scouts. <laughs> uh, well, Boy Scouts pray to Jesus. Nazi Scouts pray to the Führer, and they learn how to Same. you know yeah. just like if you're trapped out in the bush. Oh yeah, you, you got to survive. You got to survive. You got to know how to yeah. catch your own food, uh, skin it, cook right. it, be prepared. And if you right. see any Jews right. while you're out there, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? Get them to do the. You got to, you know, how, how to, you know, how to put together a, a, a gas <laughs> showers out of bamboo <laughs> and um, vines. Yeah. Going to hell, My, like MacGyver. Like Love if MacGyver Jews. was an, uh, a Nazi scout, <laughs> uh, and as a uh, Hitler youth, he'd be able to throw it together. Anyway, I would I love to that. see that show. Hitler, Hitler, <laughs> Nazi MacGyver. Oh, that would be fun. Anyway, uh, at the anyway. founding meeting of the Nazi scouts, Kamal right. Al Husseini, one of the uh, principal aides of uh, Hajimin. Probably related kid, mm -hmm. something like that. I don't know. Declared right. Hitler started out. <laughs> don't know why I'm talking like Hitler. I'm a I'm an Arab, 
but I like him so much. It's okay. I am going to talk like this for the rest of the day. He said Hitler had started out with only six followers and now had 60 million. A bit like our podcast. That's good stuff. Right, exactly. Actually, we started with 60 million. Now we're down to six. But it was a good ride. Yeah, it was a good close. ride. Well, it lasted. Similar. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, they're a good six. Oh, good six. They are. Yeah. The best. Yeah. The best, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> the first... 70 Nazi youth, Al Futawa recruits, took the following oath. Life, my right. Independence, my aspiration. Arabism, my principle. Palestine, my country. And there is no room in it for any but Arabs. In this, I believe, and Allah is my witness. Ooh, again, radicalized they're being radicalized this whole moderate thing maybe even pretending to get along is gone it's it's all or nothing now jews have gone radical the arabs have gone radical and they all love hitler it's on when hitler (laughs) came to power in 1933 al Husseini told the german consul in jerusalem that he welcomed the new regime of germany and expressed a desire to join them in fighting the jews uh, could I get his autograph, please? I actually I don't know why I'm doing German accent. I apologize. Yeah, no, big fans because obviously they have a lot in common. I'm sure a lot of copies of Mein Kampf were uh, were bought there in, the, in Palestine, and uh, yeah, they're trying to align forces now. And the Jews weren't, uh, I don't think, big fans of Hitler. But they, as you said, they were big fans of Mussolini, the Zionists. This yes. is or some of the Zionists, the Jabotinsky's group. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of funny, yeah. like the the. The yeah, Jews. Oh, I got are, it. Aligning themselves with my, Mussolini and the Arabs with Hitler. My fascist is better than your fascist. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I pit my Mussolini against your Hitler. I, I'm not sure. My fascist brings other boys to the yard. They're right. It's better than yours. Damn right. I can teach you, but you'd have. To, I'd have to charge something like that. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't really recall that song. So yeah. Um. The thongs? I have no idea. I have no idea. Meanwhile, the British occupation of Palestine was actually a good thing in many ways, but it added to the problems too because they had better education for the Arab youth. They could read, they could write. They all read anti-Zionist literature as a result and became radicalised. This is why you don't teach people shit. This is why I'm never teaching Fox to read or write because I know as soon as he does... (laughs) He's going to radical. He's going to radical. Yeah, he'll turn on me. Yeah. He'll turn on me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. He knows as soon as he knows how to Google how to how to build a gas chamber in your backyard Anything. out of bamboo and right. sticks. Uh, I'm I'm done for. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a Jew, dead. but Dad, won't you come? I'm look circumcised. Look in my shed. I'm circumcised, and he's not. Right. That's close enough. So right. he's going to put enough. one and one together and come up with Jew. <laughs> one plus one equals Jew Dad, is what he'll a... say, and you know. Jew. Yeah. <laughs> so again, Husseini uses this, the fact that more people could read, the more that they're being radicalized. He's trying to do everything he can to bring them onto his side. Because again, he's just biding his time. But he's not the only person who's ready to uh, do little fisticuffs with the British. Yeah. So uh, before we move on from Al-Husseini, he was setting up secret jihadist groups 
whose job it was was oh, to shit. collect money and arms to fight the British and the Jews, the Jihad al-Makadas, the Holy War Society. Jihad just means holy war. And in right. 1935, uh, al-Hassani, the uh, Mufti, Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, was in personal control of these jihadist societies. Damn. But then another terrorist group entered the scene. This is running by a complete badass, uh, <laughs> Sheikh Izildan al-Qassam. Nice. Born in Syria, educated in Egypt, a preacher and a cleric. He had sure. fought against the French in Syria and eventually had to go and hide out in Palestine. And he organized a new Palestinian terrorist network called the Black Hand. Just put it right out there. Yeah. Good name. I mean, probably the most overused name in foot <laughs> terrorist groups. Barry and Stan, every time they go to Barry and Stan for a name, they go... <laughs> Right. What about the Black Hand? I think hasn't that been used before? Well, yes, there was a Sicilian but this Black is Hand. Be, right, but this is going to be your Black Hand. So yeah. completely different. Yeah, Black Hand. Now, uh, right. in brackets, uh, <laughs> Palestine. You're the like. It's kind of a. It's kind of a franchise thing. Yeah. The, like a network? Yep. Exactly. The upside exactly. is you don't need to teach people what the brand is. They already know. They know Black Hand because they've yeah. seen The Godfather. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, part two. Terrorists. So uh, with the black done. the black hand is is the guy is the the right. the, 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 the sort of uh shakedown mobster that Robert De Niro, young Vito Corleone, uh shoots with with a, with a pistol with a towel wrapped around it, towel catches on fire. So he's, he was the Black right. Hand. So they, they, they've seen The Godfather. Well, yeah, they they, they know. know what The Black Hand is. You're halfway there. It's They're already branding. scared. Marketing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Stan and Barry helped um, Al-Qassam write his recruiting speech. I have to be honest with you and say I wasn't impressed with it. He said to some people, you are people of rabbits who are afraid of death and scaffolds and engage in prattle. You know, you must know that nothing will save us but our own arms. So again, I mean, to tell people the truth that, yeah, you have to fight or you're going to lose everything is one thing. Calling them a bunch of rabbits and that they're afraid of death. I don't know if that's exactly the best way to go about engaging people, but I think it worked because he was looking for radicals, tough militants, and he seemed to have found some. Behold the cave of Carpano. Right. Keep me covered. What with? Just keep me covered. Too late. What? There he is. Where? There. What, behind the rabbit? It is the rabbit. You silly sod. What? You guys all worked up. Well, that's no ordinary rabbit. That's the most foul, cruel and bad-tempered rodent you ever set eyes on. You tit. I saw my arm and I was so scared. Look, that rabbit's got a vicious street a mile wide. It's a killer. Get stuck. He'll do you a treat, mate. Oh, yeah? Manky Scots git. I'm warning you. What's he do? Nibble your bum? He's got huge, sharp... He can leap about... Look at the bones! Go on, boys, chop his head off. Right, silly little beater. One rabbit suit coming right up. Look! Ah! 
Jesus Christ! I warned you. I've done it again. I warned you, but did you listen to me? Oh, no, you knew it all, didn't you? Oh, it's just a harmless little bunny, isn't it? Well, it's always the same. I always oh, tell them, up. do they listen to me? Right! Oh, no. <laughs> Fucking love that. <laughs> oh, no, you don't listen to me. Uh, oh, is it? Because I did it again. <laughs> he soiled himself twice. Oh my uh, god! You were people of rabbits. Oh. Mm. <laughs> now, in, uh, okay. then, this thing happened—the uh, cement barrel incident, no, November nineteen thirty-five. A shipment of cement barrels, sure, containing eight hundred rifles and. 400,000 rounds of ammunition intended for Haganah and uh, what would become Ergun, Haganah Bet, right. was intercepted in the port of Jaffa. Now, uh, the, the Arabs were obviously outraged that the Jews were arming up uh, because they were, they were arming up. They, well, you, we can't both <laughs> arm up. I'll tell you. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Al-Qassam launched an attack... Uh, ended up killing a Jewish police sergeant. There was a massive manhunt by British troops. Mm-hmm. He was surrounded and killed. Um, right. Supposedly, when surrounded, he told his men to die as martyrs, open fire, they were all killed, and his defiance, his willing to martyr himself for the cause, right. uh, yes. stunned the Palestinian people, and, and, and he sort of became a... Uh, a famous symbol of the national struggle. He wasn't even Palestinian. He was a Syrian. Didn't matter. But, uh, well, I guess it's all Syria, really, but Syria, Syria, the other Syria. Yeah. Um, So uh, there was a funeral, uh, massive demonstration went along with the funeral, and he became a symbol for the struggle for the independence of their country for a whole generation of Palestinian Arabs. Yeah, I was just going to say a whole nother generation just had another example. And it's not like people are going, oh, he was so fucking crazy. No, he's being talked up like a hero, almost like a, a folk hero. I'm sure his name is, his stories are going to become legend after a while. I mean, this guy is talked up. He is praised. Clearly the younger, um, uneducated, poor, struggling um, young people are going to hear this kind of thing and they're going to aspire to be um you know, to be respected and to to be liked like this guy was. So again, he's a positive role model for a certain group of people, a certain group of Arabs. And there's nothing worse when you're occupying a country than to appear weak. Yeah, now in do it. 1935-1936, the British appeared weak to all people who were <laughs> paying attention. They failed to stop Mussolini. Uh, taking Abyssinia, 1935-36. They failed to stop Hitler's remilitarization. They were quite happy to do deals with Hitler, engage with Hitler. Yeah. Listen, okay, look, you're a bit, like, you're a little bit strong with the whole... <laughs> you're a little loud. Jews right, thing, come on. You know, yeah. but listen... You know, you want to kill a few of them, we get that. Who doesn't, quite honestly? We do. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but listen, could you just tone it down a little bit, Adolf? That would be great yeah. <laughs> if you could. Hey, dog. Um, right. Yeah. Then then the League of Nations imposed economic sanctions on Italy 
And this caused additional economic hardship in Palestine. Remember that Mussolini and the Italians had been supporting Palestine. Right. Uh, and financially and, and in other ways as well, um, you know, some little bit of uh, arms shipments to the Arabs. Oh, yeah. So when there was economic sanctions imposed on Italy, it created a run on the banks in Palestine, firms oh. closed... And during all of this time, you know, this is just, you know, sort of still in the Great Depression, just right. got even tougher. The Zionists got tougher on insisting on Hebrew labour only yeah. on Zionist farms. So there are more evictees of uh, Palestinian Arab uh, tenant farmers. They were kicked out of their jobs, couldn't find work, and so things mm. just got... Went from bad to worse for the Arabs in Palestine yeah. in 35, 36. Then Libya, which was controlled by the Italians, started producing anti-British propaganda and spreading that round the Muslim world to try and get all of the Muslims to rise up against the British. Oh, God, that's brilliant. Yeah, you're exactly right, because the Arab Palestinians are about to see what direct action can do with the um, with the Italians, you know, trying to work the Arabs up that the British control to, to cause them a lot of trouble. The Egyptians in Cairo, they riot in November of 1935. And what do they get from it? A treaty with the British in Syria in early 1936. The, the, uh, the Arabs go on a general strike, last for 50 days. What do they get? They get some concessions. They get a treaty from the French. So the Arabs in Palestine, the Arabs in Palestine, are starting to go. You know what? Maybe it's not that we have to sit here and wring our hands and hope for the best. Maybe we can take direct action and get something either from the Jews, but hopefully as well from the British. And of course, not only is there the depression at this time, there's also the global drought. In the early 30s, led to the Jesus. Dust Bowl in North yeah. America, led to the famines in Russia, um, which got blamed on on Stalin, but mm. really probably has more to do with the global drought, although people debate whether or not the drought in Russia was any bad, any worse than, oh, sorry, is Ukraine mostly than it had been in previous years. I'm not going right. to get into all of that, but there was dr global drought uh, all yeah. over, which just increased... I mean, I mean, they're in a fucking desert to begin with. How it's do you still, tell? Well, that one tree that we <laughs> had it, over there, it's gone. Is it a drought? Yeah, I can't fuck. tell. Yeah, okay. that tree's gone. <laughs> fuck. So then all of this is going on. Then you had the cement barrel incident. Rumours started spreading amongst the Arabs in Palestine that the Jews were bringing in weapons meant for this large-scale massacre of the Arabs. Right. On November 25th, 1935, five Arab political parties submitted a joint protest to the High Commissioner mm. demanding a cessation of Jewish immigration to stop the land transfers and the establishment of a democratic, that is, Arab-controlled <laughs> government. Right, for fuck's sake. Because, come on, there's still the majority there. But no. And let's point out, at this juncture... Yeah. The British mandate has been going on for nearly 20 years. Right. Like, the justification initially was, oh, them Arabs, them sad niggers, uh, they're, they're not uh, able to self-govern. Right. We, they need our help. Uh, we, we need to teach them. 
the 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 art of governing. Yeah, it's complicated. Well, how fucking long is that going to take? It's oh, been twenty years. We're just getting like, started. Like, how long do you need? Yeah, this is still the point. Well, yeah. Oh, at least what was our lease on Hong Kong? Ninety nine years. Yeah, years. at least. Yeah. Yeah. At least that, I think. Yeah, there's light. 100 years. Sounds, light sounds about end. right. There's light at the end of the sounds tunnel. Right. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. we're getting there. So, sounds about right. Yeah. You know, look, look, look at it this way. Don't look at it as we've been occupying your land for no, no, no. 20 years. Look right. at it that there's only 80 years left to go. <laughs> That's you got to be positive. Positive outlook is half, so important when you're being occupied. Half cup full. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. When, when you're being impressed. <laughs> help, help. Come see the impression narrative in the system. Uh, you gotta you gotta right. you gotta be positive. Gotta stay positive. Sunshine that's that's and what we say. Exactly. We are positive that yeah. we're oppressing the shit out of it. That, we are positive about that. So right. We're positive. Yeah. You need to be positive. It's yeah. not, it's better if we're all positive. That's true, actually. Uh, so they said, yes, uh, we want this again. Uh, you know, the, the British had tried to set up a legislative council. Right. Uh, in which they would retain the final say. How did that go? Uh, both the Arabs and the Zionists were like, I'm not sure you understand the concept of self-government. No. We we want to make our own. Well, yeah. No, listen, listen, listen. Obviously, look, we know you're a bunch of dumb desert barbarians so let's explain this to you slowly so you understand all right um you will have complete democracy and self-determination under your self-government right as long as bear with me here no don't don't snicker i'm serious okay all right as long as right all of the decisions you come up with are approved by us. How am I but supposed to outs- know? Well, we will tell you <laughs> what you're supposed to think. It's fine. We, we know how to do this. We do it all around the world. Trust me. Check it 25%, yeah. 25% of the world's landmass, uh, we're, we're doing this in yeah. right now. We right. know how to do this. We are the shit. So we didn't get off the fucking boat yesterday, right. my friend, like these Jews did. <laughs> We've been doing this. A long time. So, you, we, we're, we're, we're Britain, motherfuckers. We invented Britain. democracy. Right. We invented, well, the Greeks, fuck the Greeks. Yeah, okay, so the Greeks invented it. Yeah, we The Romans, yeah, well, okay, the Romans had it too. But after the Greeks and the Romans. Right. We put our stamp on it. We, we invented, you ever heard of the Magna Carta, bitch? The great <laughs> cart? What right. is it? It's a big cart. <laughs> it's a big cart. We carry our carry our balls around. Constitution it. That's what and, it is. and balls. Yes, testicles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we know how to do democracy. It's very simple. You get to decide. The people get to decide oh, whatever they bad. want as long as right. we sign off on it uh, first. That's All right. the kind so, of democracy that you get when you're part of the British Empire. 
So I imagine. Congratulations. Right. So I imagine. Sign here in, in triplicate. Sign here in triplicate. Uh, just put fix your stamp to the top corner. Since you can't write. Exactly. So since they offered this up, the British offered this up, both sides said no. So the talks and the proposals and the stalling and the non-progress will just, I guess, continue. Well, it continued until April 1936 <laughs> when the Arabs went on strike uh, and basically launched a major revolt. Yeah, on the evening of April 15th, 1936, mm-hmm. a gang of... The followers of Al Qassam, who was dead, but right. you know they they his know, message they, lives he on. Came back as he came back as a force ghost, right. like Jesus, right? Yeah, trust the force, <laughs> Luke. He said. They were like, dude, why do you why do you sound like John Lennon all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, What's life like on Earth? <laughs> I'm dead. Well, Joel. They got these things, they call it an iPhone. What's an iPhone, Paul? Well, it's a wobbly doubly thing that you press and all your music comes out of it. You even got the Beatles tracks on there. Do, do we get paid any money, Paul? Oh, no, we don't see any money. Um, they set... <laughs> what? what is going down. on? Uh, yes, the uh, uh, followers of Alcazar set up a roadblock right uh, around a little hill country area near Tulkam, and they were stopping drivers from Arab drivers. They were extorting contributions for arms and ammunition to to launch a major revolt against the British uh, and revenge for the death of Al-Qassam. Sure. Then they found two Jewish drivers who may or may not have told them to go fuck their mothers... They dragged them out and shot and killed them. Two Jewish drivers and a Jewish passenger. Right. Yeah. Uh, And these were seen as the first victims of the Arab rebellion. Another driver they pulled over shouted, I am a Christian German! (laughs) Quit shooting at me, asshole! Can't you tell a difference between a Jew and a German? Well, uh, no, actually, they're all mostly either Germans or right. Russians. Yeah. Um, and he was told to go ahead for Hitler's sake. Oh, but that came in so handy, huh? Yeah. Now, believe yeah. it or not, yeah, so these are some of the first killings in revenge because Irgun Bet is going to hear about this. They're going to drive up to a shack near Petak Tikva. And I, I don't know if they shoot through the buildings or if they throw in explosives, but they're going to kill two Arab people inside. So like we were talking about before, they're like, retaliatory strikes is what we do now. You kill two of ours, we kill two of yours. Yes. Uh, so it's on. It's on like Donkey it Kong. Uh, <laughs> revenge. <laughs> this is... This is basically, you know, people go, oh, the Arab-Palestinian conflict, they shoot one of theirs, they then they shoot right. one back, and it goes, where did it start? Well, this is where it started. Right. This is this is pretty much where it started. Yeah. Uh, they shot one of theirs, so they shot one of theirs back, and it's been going on ever since. It never since. stops. Exactly. Since April, April 15th, 1936. Right. This has pretty much been going on nonstop. Jesus. So the, the official history of the Haganah blames... The uh, 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 
uprising of the Jews here on hot-tempered and disorganised Sephardic Jews. That sounds racist. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, If you blame a group because of who they are. Anyway, please continue. Sorry. Yeah. The, your, your, your African Jews. A bit racy. Um, yeah. Now, things quickly spiraled out of control. So a few days later, by April 19th, mobs of Arabs were rampaging through Jaffa. They had heard rumours that lots of Arabs had been killed by Jews. They killed 14 Jews and injured 60. For the next couple of days, Jews and Arabs in neighbourhoods around Jaffa and Tel Aviv basically were attacking each other, looting, setting fire to shops and homes... Both Arabs and Jews were killed by police, Yes, um, but mostly Arabs. Riots spread. The Jews referred to it as the Great Arab Rebellion. Mm. But the Jews and the British kept trying to downplay it. It just like, oh, they referred to it as the disturbances, like right. uh, the, the British referred to the Irish Rebellion. Oh, the disturbances. Yeah, yeah well, it, it, it was just... yeah. Yeah, it's just, look, it was a small group of uh, noisy, yeah. a noisy minority. It was fine. Nothing yeah. really. Yeah. 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 Kids today with their <laughs> long hair and their with rock and roll in 1936. And, yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> and their jewels. Yeah, so it, it this ended up actually, the Great Arab Rebellion ended up being the biggest and longest... Mm-hmm. uprising against the British in any country in the Middle East. And it wasn't just Arab Muslims. So there's a guy we've mentioned before going way back, Khalil al-Sakakini. Right. He was a Palestinian Orthodox Christian teacher, scholar, poet. He wrote in his diary that this was a life and death struggle. He wrote, the battle in Palestine is in full force. Victory is in the hands of God. If we live, we shall live with honor. If we die, we shall die with honor. So oh he's a God. Christian right. Palestinian who is also fully in support of the Great Arab Rebellion, not necessarily a Muslim thing alone. He applauded the Arab attacks on the Jews, but worried that the violence would look bad in the eye of the public because, yeah. in his words, the Jews control all of the newspapers and the radio. <laughs> All right, Hitler, they do not. Well, maybe they did, uh, did they? in Israel at the time. Oh, in Israel, know, yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And that's a very general, general assumption to make. Well, we know there were Arab, we know there were Arab newspapers yeah. and Arab radio, so he couldn't control all of them, but might right. have control, you know, had some yeah. of them anyway. Yeah. He said, I feel the pain of the troubles, whether they fall on Arabs or on the English or on the Jews. For that reason, you will sometimes find me on the side of the Arabs and others, at other times on the side of the English and still other times on the side of the Jews. And if there were animals who suffered from even a faint whiff of these troubles, I would sometimes be on the side of the animals. Mm. So he didn't have, he wasn't taking sides, except he, 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 was. he was. Except for yeah. when he did, he wasn't yeah. taking sides. Well, he just, he, like, no, in all seriousness, they just the Arabs just wanted independence. That's all it was. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, see, and that's the other thing. Now that this violence is going on, it's increasing and it's spreading. It's not just in one area. The Arabs at the same time are able to begin to organize themselves politically. The young people are pissed off. They're frustrated. The older people are trying to hold them back. It's just not working. The young people are out, you know, they're striking out against the Jews. The older people who don't want this to happen are being sucked in by events. Just That's just the, what happens when you have uh, riots or revolts like this. But the the Arabs, um, their organizational structure begins to emerge from this, which is exactly what the Jews don't need. On April 19th, a national committee is formed, and they call for a strike and for shop owners um, to join the strike and to not do any business with the Jews. Of course, the shop owners don't want to do this because that's how they make their living, but the nationalists show up with their knives and sticks and guns and kind of force them to join the strike. So it's it's getting to the point where even to another Arab, you're either with us or you're against us. These, it's, it's all getting out of hand. It's getting radical. And, but at the same time, they're starting to become more organized so they can make their efforts uh, more effective as they go up against the Jews. Yeah. And they look to Hitler and Mussolini as right. their uh, inspirations. Well, I mean, we all got to have heroes. <laughs> say what you like about Hitler. <laughs> But according to the Christian guy I mentioned before, Al Sakakini, he believed that Nazi Germany might weaken the British and in doing so liberate liberate Palestine Ooh. from the Jews. So he was a right. he was a supporter of the Nazis because he could see that this is, you know, a couple of years before right. World War II breaks out, but he could see that Germany might weaken the British resolve. He wrote that Adolf Hitler had opened the world's eyes to the myth of Jewish power and that Germany had stood up to the Jews and put them in their place, much like Mussolini had done with the British. So, but, you know, again, from the perspective of somebody whose country is being invaded by the Jews, yeah, this is understandable. I, you know, oh, this yeah, is not anti-Semitism. This is... Survival? Yeah, this is this is this is a guy who just you know represents a community of people that yeah. want self government. I, I want my country back. Yeah, yeah, and the ability to make laws in their own country oh, and govern nice. things like that'd the amount nice. of immigration that is right. allowable. Exactly. Anyway, as you said, on April 19th, Arabs across Palestine went on strike. Now, uh, the Supreme Muslim Council and the Arab Higher Committee, the SMC and the HC both led by Amin al-Hassani, Haj Amin, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, was supporting the strike. Publicly, though, he said he opposed violence. Bullshit. Since violence would not serve any useful purpose. Yeah. They said it would only end the strike when the British put a stop to Zionist immigration and land transfers and allowed a popularly elected legislature. You know, that democracy thing that you keep telling us you love so much. That's not radical. That's not extreme. But, Al-Hassani said, if our demands are not met, they would start an armed resistance. Oh, God. Now, ironically, the strike had a counter effect. Uh, It helped Jews get even further with their plan for Hebrew labor. All the jobs of the people who went on strike were quickly replaced with Jews. Right. They needed Frank Frank Sheeran 
from uh, the Irishman to go and break their arms, but he wasn't around. So, so not only are more Jews employed now because of this, um, it also strengthens the Jews in another way. So there was disruption at the Jaffa port, so Jews were kind of forced to open up their own port in Tel Aviv. So again, they're becoming more independent, which is what some of the Zionists have been saying from day one. Ben-Gurion said, the first and principal lesson of these disturbances is that we must free ourselves from all economic dependence on the Arabs. We must not find ourselves in a situation where our enemies are in a position to starve us, to block our access to the sea, to deny us gravel and stones for construction. So yes, this is going on and it's horrible and the people are fighting, but internally the Jews are actually benefiting from what's going on. Well, the British sent in reinforcements from Egypt, started deploying roadblocks, curfews, patrols. They tried to appease the Arabs by announcing that they would limit Jewish immigration to 4,500 for the next six months. You know, this is down from like 60,000 in the previous year. Yeah. But the Arabs wanted a complete end to immigration, so they extended the strike. and started with the urban terrorism and the armed rebellion in the countryside. During May 1936, 41 bombs exploded in Jaffa alone, 35 more in Haifa. On May 16th, an Arab fired on a Jewish crowd, leaving a movie theatre, killing three and wounding two. Shots were fired at British police stations. The AHC uh, began to incite, or try to incite, the countryside to rebel. And the British initially were kind of bored with the whole thing. They thought it would all blow over. Right. But it it didn't. And it had, kind of. But on September 7th, the British declared martial law. So, yeah, during during the the first six months of this, because this is going to go on for a while, but during those first six months... Even though there were many deaths, uh, no death sentences had been handed out by the British, but because they now have, I think it's an entire division in the area, and they've tried several times and in several different ways, and even given in to what some of the Arabs have wanted, it's been thrown back in their face, so now it's time for the British to crack down hard, and they start pushing the Arabs out of the cities, and now they actively pursue them in the countryside because they now have the men and the weapons to do so. Yeah, in the first six months of the revolt, about 200 Arabs, 80 Jews, Mm. and 28 British were killed. 1,300 people were wounded. But then the British now have 20,000 troops shipped in. About 2,700 Jewish policemen were recruited and armed. Outlying Jewish settlements were given weapons. And the British, to sort of flush out terrorists in Jaffa, start systematically blowing up Arab homes. About 220 homes were destroyed. The Arabs moved to the countryside, continued to urge the people to rise up against the British and Jewish oppressors. Yeah. And I think that's probably where we have to leave it, Papa Bear, episode 145. Yeah, this is the biggest thing the British have had to deal with in Palestine since the the first um, Eliot, Aliyah, and now it's just getting out of hand. And the Arabs are no longer saying 
a little bit is enough. They want completely what they want, and then now they're actively fighting the British and the Jews. This is not something that they saw the British saw coming, but they should have. Probably did it with his dick. I'm just saying. I don't know. I wasn't there, but probably. <laughs> Actually, I'm okay with that. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. I'm not really into jabby jabby. I don't think I could take anything to my penis. But go ahead, go ahead, hold on your pants. From the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba, the purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Don't move, hold still. Believe me, not a wreck right now. I'm flinching, if anything, I'm flinching. I'm gonna need a moment. Okay, hold on. Okay, go ahead. I can do it all day long. The two hammer. There's pile driver, the sledgehammer. I fucked your wife. Probably did it with his dick. I'm just saying. I don't know. I wasn't there, but probably. Nailed it. <laughs>